Well, back in September, we started our series called The Bible Project. And if you're new uh, this week, just want to let you know that The Bible Project, you can find it online, actually under uh, thebibleproject.com, or you can go on your phones or your tablets and download Read Scripture. And basically, it's just a very creative way to go through the Bible And the idea is it'll help you engage more, understand more of what's going on in God's Word. And so what we've been doing is showing video clips, and we're going to show you a video clip this morning. We don't show one every week, uh, but we show one, and then we talk about it for a few weeks, and we show another. So this morning, we're going to actually show you the second part of the book of Genesis. So this is going to be Genesis uh, chapters 12 through 50. And uh, we're going to put it up on the screens. We're going to try to turn all the lights off. I know it's going to be hard with some of the light coming through the the cupola, but I believe it's going to show up on that screen over here pretty well. So let's bring down the lights, and we'll watch this video, and then we'll talk about it. The book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which God says will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. Now, at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First, Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However, 
God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions, he's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife, and so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they can't have children, and so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. But each time, God bails Abraham out. And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family is going to be. And despite all of the odds, having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asks Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant, circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. Now, the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland. And in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him. And he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Now, it's this last part of the book, the story of Jacob's sons, where all the themes come to a head. Jacob loves his second to youngest son, Joseph, more than any of the others. And he gives him this special jacket. And the ten older sons come to hate Joseph. And so they kidnap him and they plan to kill him. But instead, they decide to just sell him into slavery in Egypt, where he ends up in prison. Talk about family failure. But God is with Joseph. And he orchestrates Joseph's release from prison. And Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. And so Joseph saves the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he also ends up saving his brothers and his family from starving to death. And so once again, we can see the folly and the sin of Abraham's family is met with God's faithfulness, who subverts even the evil of the brothers into an occasion to save life. And this is actually what Joseph says right near the end of the book. He says to his brothers, you all planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. Now, these words are strategically placed at the end of the book because they summarize not only the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the book as a whole. From Genesis 3 onward, humans keep acting selfishly and doing evil, but this God is not going to leave his world to its own devices. He remains faithful and determined to bless people despite their failures. 
You can see this especially in how that mysterious promise about the descendant of the woman gets developed throughout the book. So remember, Genesis 3, God promised that this wounded victor would come and crush the snake and defeat evil at its source. And the author then connects this promise directly to the line of Abraham. This is a part of how God's going to bring his blessing to the nations. Now, from Abraham, this promise gets connected to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And this is how. In an extremely important poem in chapter 49, in aging Jacob, he's on his deathbed. He wants to bless his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, Jacob predicts that Judah will become the tribe of Israel's royal leaders and that one day a king will come who will command the obedience of all the nations and fulfill God's promise to restore the garden blessing to all of the world. World. And then after this, Jacob dies. And later, Joseph dies too. And the growing family remains in Egypt. And so the book of Genesis ends with all of these future hopes and promises left hanging and undeveloped. And it forces you to turn the page to see how it's all going to turn out. But for now, that's the book of Genesis. When I was in my mid to lower 20s, I had trust issues, trust issues with women. And I had trust issues with women because I dated a girl who told me that she loved me. And so I told her that I loved her, and then she broke up with me to go out with her ex-boyfriend. And so I dated another girl who told me she loved me, and I said, well, I love you too. And then she dumped me, and guess what she did? What? Yeah, she went out with her ex-boyfriend. Did you see a pattern here? I felt like the minor leagues for these girls, right? And like, okay, they're, anyways. So needless to say, I had trust issues when I went on my first date with Joanne Snyder in February of 1988. And as we sat across from each other at the table at the wonderful McDonald's, um, (laughs) hey, I had one question that had to be answered before I was taking her any place fancy. And that one question was, hey, do you by any chance have an ex-boyfriend in the background? And she said, no. And so now we've been together for 30 blissful, happy, romantic years. See, that's how that worked out. Now, you can probably relate to that because we live in a world where We trust people, but then they hurt us. And when we get hurt in relationships and friendships by family members, we have a hard time trusting other people and letting them into our lives. Now, where this becomes really serious and really difficult and really important to talk about is when this lack of trust affects the way we relate to God. Because, folks, we need to be able to completely trust God with every part of our life. But if we've been dumped, if we've been hurt, if we've been uh, let down, we struggle to trust. And so we struggle to trust with God. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Genesis We're going to start in chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going to read about a a man named Abram, 
And he is going to have to figure out whether or not he is going to trust God. And I want you to pay really close attention to what we're going to be talking about because uh, we're going to talk about how this applies to our lives today. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't, um, we'll have the words up on the screen here that you can read. But let's begin here with verse 1. It says that the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because it's important to understand what's going on here. God has commanded Abram to leave his country. Now, that's a big deal, right? Because living in this country, as Abram has, has given him comfort. You understand that, right? It's pretty comfortable living in the United States of America. If you were told to leave this country and go to another country, it would be a little bit uncomfortable. But God has told Abraham or Abram, leave your country. But not only your country, God wants him to leave your people. Now what does that mean? Well, having your people around, having your family around means you have support. So God is commanding Abram to leave what's comfortable, to leave his support, but he also wants to leave, have him leave your father's household, which represents security. So put that all together. God is commanding Abram to leave what's comfortable, to leave his support, to leave his security, and go where? The land I will show you. Folks, in other words, he's saying, Abram, I want you to leave everything, but I'm not telling you where you're going. I'll tell you later. Now, that's tough, right? That's a hard thing to be commanded to do. Now, God does add some promises here. Genesis chapter 12 at verse 2 and 3. God says, I promise, this is promise, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So this is a pretty huge promise, because here God is saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and yet there are no children in Abram's family right now. He doesn't have any kids, and his wife is barren. So this is quite the powerful miraculous promise that God is bringing to Abram. So you've got the command and you've got the promise. And now the question is, what is Abram going to do? Is he going to obey and trust God or not? And we find out in the next verse, verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. So here you have this pattern which we'll be returning to. You've got, God's, you've got God's command, God's promise, and man's or Abram's obedience. All right, let's read a little bit more now what happens. Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. So it says again, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. 
Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. All right, so here we see what we could consider like the perfect story, right? God has commanded Abram to do something really, really important. He's made some promises to Abram. Abram has responded by trusting him in obedience. He's gone on. He's worshipped God. He has set up altars to worship God. And in this last line it says, he is then called on the name of the Lord. In other words, Abram has made a decision. He is going to follow God. All right? Now, it would be really wonderful if the last verse was the end, and that was it, and we could close the book, and everything would be hunky-dory. But we don't live in a world like that, do we? We live in a world where there's sin. We live in a world where there are struggles, where there are difficulties, which put to the test whether or not we're going to really trust God. And Abram is about to experience that right away. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. Okay, here we go. That's a big struggle. There's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. I often say this to my wife, honey, someday people are just going to kill me just to get to you. Because this is what they did back in the day. Thankfully, they don't, they don't do that today. But, but here's the thing that you need to notice, okay? Abram is afraid. And he's afraid for his life. Now, let's stop here for a moment. God has just promised him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, how in the world can God make Abram a great nation if Abram's going to die, in other words, God's not going to let Abram die. But we can sense that Abram, he's not really trusting that. In fact, Abram's thinking, did God just dump me for somebody else? Has God forgotten about me? Is God busy with other stuff because they're going to kill me? No, they're not. He needed to trust God at this point and remember God's promises, but he doesn't. So this is what he does. Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. He says to his wife, Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So here is Abram's concocted plan. He wants his wife 
to tell Pharaoh and the Egyptians that they're not married, that she is his sister. Now, we need to know this. This is important. This is actually a half-truth. This is a half-truth. In other words, yes, Abram and Sarah had the same dad. But they didn't have the same mother. So they were half-brother, half-sister. So this is kind of a half-truth, which makes it a half-lie, which makes it really a full lie. So Abram's not trusting God now. He's going to lie, and so he does. And then it says in verse 14, When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Now let's stop here, because this is important. She just wasn't taken into his palace. Guess what? She was made one of Pharaoh's wives. And do we know what that means? That means she slept with Pharaoh. That means she committed adultery. So, we have Abram's lie, which is a sin. We have his wife committing adultery with Pharaoh, which is a sin. But then we have this weird verse in verse 16. He, Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. In other words, folks, he lies, he prostitutes his wife, and he makes bank. Right? I mean, according to the world, this was a great idea. You lied, you saved your life, sure, you prostituted your wife, but man, you're rich now. High five, good job. That's how the world sees life. When we don't trust God and we get stuff from it, we profit from it. That's what the world sees. But is that what God sees? No. In fact, God sees disorder. And we talked about this in the very beginning of this series. What does God do with disorder? He brings out order. And when the disorder is called by sin, he brings out order through the consequences of sin, which we see in chapter 12, verse 17. It says, But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household, because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why did you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. So, the consequences of Abram not trusting God are diseases being inflicted on Pharaoh and his household, his wife committing adultery, and now they have been deported. Sounds like a mess, right? Sounds like a problem. But then once again, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, we have this crazy worldly verse. 
Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Yay, says the world. High five, says the world. Good job, says the world. But not God. So the question now is, what is Abram going to do? Is he going to keep doing things his way? Being successful in the world, but causing disorder and strife in his marriage and in other people's lives? Or is he going to trust God? Well, then we read Genesis chapter 13, verses 3 through 4. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and I where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. Folks, in other words, Abram did the right thing. He returned back to God. He returned back to where God made his commands and his promises to where God gave him the opportunity to where Abram was obedient. So he returned, he remembered, and then it says, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he returned, he remembered, and he recommitted his life to God. Now, this brings us to our bottom line. So let's put our bottom line on the screen here. Folks, we need to trust God. And we need to call on the Lord. And we need to do it again and again and again. We need to trust God. Call on the Lord. And do it again and again and again. Because if you keep reading Genesis from this point on, you will see Abram messing up. He's going to pull this whole sister trick again. He's going to mess up, and he's going to mess up, and he's going to mess up, but God is never going to dump him for someone else. God is always going to be faithful. God is always going to be with him. And Abram is going to always return, remember, recommit, and his trust in God is going to grow. And there's going to come a story where Abram is now, his name is changed to Abraham, and he's with his son. And God calls on Abraham to do something very, very important. And this time, Abraham trusts God completely, and it's a beautiful story. But what I want to do here is I want to stop here and ask this question. How does this apply to us today? Well, let's turn to Scripture in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Luke 9, 23 to 24. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Folks, that's our command. If we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. And then Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But here's our promise. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
So if we deny ourselves and call on Jesus, guess what? He will save us. That's his command. That's his promise. And many of you here today made that decision to follow Jesus. And the question I want to ask you this morning is very simply, how's it going right now? How's it going? Because I know, because we live in this world, that you have faced struggles. You have faced difficult times. You have faced situations where you've wondered if God has dumped you for somebody else. You have faced times in your life where you've wondered if God has been paying attention. You know, I read one of the Bible commentaries about Abram, and they made this comment, which kind of made me chuckle a little bit, because it said that it was possible that the reason Abram lied and saved his life was to help God. You see, he knew that God had promised to make him a great nation, so Abraham thought, well, I'll just help God out here by lying and by giving him a wife to Pharaoh because that will save my life. That will help God keep me alive as if God needed his help. Did God need Abram's help? No. Did God have that taken care of? Did God have that covered? Yes. So folks, you are here today and you are facing things in your life. And the question I want to ask you is, are you trusting God completely with your life? Now, next week we're going to be talking about something specific, but I wanted to just keep this morning's message in in kind of general terms. Because this is an opportunity for you just to really kind of take a deep breath Forget all of the things you've got to do, the work, the school, running your kids here and there. I just want you to shut that all out and just really ask God, God, am I trusting you with every part of my life? Or maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know, you're not trusting me with this part of your life. You're not denying yourself in this part of your life. You're doing it your own way. And because you're doing it your own way, you're blowing things up. You're sinning. And not only are you hurting yourself, but you're hurting others. And you're hurting those around you. So this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. We've done it at the last two services, and it's really been a beautiful, beautiful time. In your bulletin, you'll notice we have these things that we've been calling connection cards. And in these connection cards, we usually ask you to to use them to kind of give us your information or a prayer request or a visitation request, or it's a way for you to sign up to be in a ministry. But we're going to use these cards differently uh, this morning. Um, In a few moments, I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, the service is over. There's not going to be a closing song. The service is over. And you can leave. Uh, What I ask you to do is for you to leave quietly, though. Um, No talking. Just uh, wait till you go outside the doors, and then you can talk when you get out there. But I'd like this this sanctuary to be just a quiet place. And what I want to encourage you to do 
is to talk to God and say, God, have I given you everything? Or have I taken some stuff back? And if you have done that, if there are parts in your life where you have not trusted God, where you have doubted, where you've done things on your own, I want you to return. Return to God. Remember all his promises and recommit that part of your life to God. And then all I want you to do is to, to write it down somewhere on this card. In fact, uh, last night someone wrote down that they recommitted their children to God. You know, as a parent, it's hard sometimes to trust God with our kids. Sometimes we wonder if God is paying attention to our kids. Yes, he is. But sometimes we forget. So they wrote down, um, I want to recommit my kids to you. And then all I want you to do is quietly bring it up and just lay it on the table here. Lay it on the altar. In fact, you can see a whole bunch of these from the 830 service. You don't have to put your name on it. But just lay it there and recommit that part of your life to Jesus. Now maybe it's a bigger issue. Maybe you've got to recommit your whole life to Christ. And you can do that too. Now, let me quickly say that if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, you can write that in there. I'm giving my life to Christ for the first time and placing it there. Because folks, let me tell you right now, we have a God who loves us. We have a God who is perfect. We have a God who we can always trust. We have a God who will never let us down. We have a God who, whose will is perfect. You can trust him with your life completely. So what I'm going to do now is, is I'm going to pray. And then again, when I'm done praying, um, I encourage you to come forward and just lay your paper on the altar. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Chris, I'm good. My entire life is committed to Christ. When we're done praying, just quietly go ahead and, and leave the facility here and just praise God, right? Praise God for his goodness. But if you need to do some work with God, we're going to spend some time here. It's going to be quiet. We're going to take our time. We're not going to rush you out of here. And uh, I want to really encourage you to make that decision today to return, remember, and to recommit. So let's stop here and, and let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, uh, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for Abram. Father, you, you loved him. You commanded him. You made him this amazing promise. But he didn't always trust you. But Father, you never abandoned him. You kept coming back. You were always there. And so when he failed, he got back up. And he recommitted himself to you. And that trust that he had in you just grew. And it grew. And it grew. Father, we want that for us. We want our trust in you, Lord, to grow. But Father, right now I pray for anyone who's here today that you've, you've tapped on their shoulder and you've said to them, Hey, you used to trust me with this part of your life, but you're not trusting me anymore. Lord, if there's someone here that you've tapped on their shoulder, I pray they make that decision today. 
simply writing it on a sheet of paper and putting it on the altar and saying, yes, Lord, I will trust you with this. And maybe, Lord, it's, it's more than one thing. And, or maybe it's their entire lives, Father. They've just been drifting and drifting. And they've been successful in the world. The world has been high-fiving them. But they know that they have been disappointing you. Father, I pray that they will recommit their lives to you today. And Father, if there is anyone here today who's never made that decision to give their lives to you, I pray that they will do that. Lord, you have commanded us that if we're going to follow you, we need to deny ourselves. And if we do, you're going to save us. We don't have to worry. You've got it covered. So, Father, if there's anyone here that's never done that, I pray that they will make that decision today to trust you, to give their lives to you. And again, Father, when life changes this morning, we just give you the glory because you're the one that deserves the praise and the honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.